December 1776 was a very desperate time for George Washington and the American Revolution. The ragtag Continental Army was encamped on the Pennsylvania shore of the Delaware River. They were exhausted. They were totally demoralized and uncertain of their future. The British had pursued them and flushed them out of Long Island onto Manhattan and from Manhattan into New Jersey and from New Jersey across the Delaware into Pennsylvania. The British had total control in December of 1776 of New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, fully in hand, and they believed at this moment that they had crushed the American Revolution. It was a very desperate time. To compound Washington's problems, his enlisted soldiers their enlistments were coming up at the end of the month, at the end of the year, and they were about to go home. I mean, it was, it was all, it was almost over. And so it was in a moment like this that you see the wonderful pictures of him kneeling down in the snow, praying to God. And that's a real story if you study that. And they sought the face of God, and he came up with a battle plan. The battle plan was is that they would cross the Delaware, D- Delaware uh, to the Hessian-held town of Trenton, New Jersey, and, and attack it by surprise. The Hessian commander uh, had caught word that they might come, but he didn't really pay any attention to it. It was Christmas Day after all. So here they are on the night of December 25th, Christmas night. He led his troops across the ice-swollen Delaware, and it was the, the river was treacherous, the, uh, the weather was treacherous, the raging winds brought in snow and ice and rain, it was treacherous just to get across. They crossed a little bit nine miles north of Trenton. And to make matters even worse, many of their soldiers were having to march through this horrendous, horrific, cold, snowy, icy weather barefoot. The, the soldiers for the American Revolution didn't even have shoes. But they surprised. They came in and attacked from the south, surprised the Hessian garrison. And uh, after fierce fighting and the commander of the Hessians dying, they captured it. It gave them some, uh, some, some moral support, so to speak. It encouraged them to keep going, and, uh, and they moved on. It was a great turning point for the war. It was a great turning point. You see, the Americans were pursuing their dream of freedom. I have a question for you today. What dreams are you pursuing? Have you allowed a dream to die in your life? Is it your dream to get out of debt? Is it your dream to be free from addiction? Is it your dream to be healed? What is your dream today? Is your, is, your, is your dream and your desire for your entire family to be serving God? One of the most precious moments in my family's history happened last night. I said, hey, after dinner, I'm going to just spend some time in prayer here in the living room for service tomorrow and the Israel trip. If you want to join me, join me. And the, and the five of us just sat around the fireplace and worshiped and prayed for about an hour. It was, it was just awesome. I just sat back and and cried, and I thought, man, this is, it can't get any better than this. It can't get any better than my family all worshiping God and praying and speaking in tongues. It doesn't get any better than that, amen? What is your dream today? Is there some sin that keeps popping up in you that keeps you, that you want out of your life, that keeps you from your dream? Is there a dream in ministry that is yet to come to pass? Is there a dream inside of you that you haven't seen realized yet? Has God put something down inside of you that maybe you thought, oh, that can't happen. There's no way. It's been so many years. I want to tell you, God specializes in long-term dreams. Amen? The word pursue, Webster, I like how it defines it here. 
It says to follow, to go, or proceed after, or in a like direction. To follow with a view to overtake. I love that. I'm going after something to overtake. To follow with haste, to chase, to pursue like a rabbit, to pursue an enemy. You find in verse 23 and 25 that Gideon called the men together and he said, we're going to pursue our victory. It's not enough that the enemy has turned on itself. We're going for the throat on this thing. We're going for our freedom and we're not letting go. That's the same tenacity that we need to go after when we're, when we're praying for our lost family members. When we're praying and believing for our healing. When we're praying and believing to be out of debt. And all the things we're believing for that are biblical. We need to see is that. We need to pursue it like we're hunting a rabbit. Amen. In Genesis 14, 14, Abraham pursued a dream to free his family from the crazy kings that had stolen Lot and his, and his family. In Joshua 10, 9, 19, uh, Joshua realized finally and pursued the dream of walking in the promised land. In Judges 1, 6-7, Judah pursued a dream to free themselves from the rule, ruthless king Adonibizak. Uh, in, Je- in 1 Samuel 7, 11, is- Israel pursued a dream to defeat the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 30, uh, David pursued a dream to recover all. Amen. And in-, in all the four Gospels, Jesus pursued a dream to save our souls so we could be in right standing with God. You- we have to pursue. Everybody shout pursue. pursue. Poke your neighbor and say pursue. It's the devil that wants you to give up. It's the devil that wants you to quit. It's the devil that wants you to let go. It's the devil that says it's too hard to believe anymore. It's the devil that says, oh, man, you just can't get there. But I want to tell you, God is speaking today. I feel it in my spirit. And God is saying, won't you pursue? Why don't you believe me again? Why don't you pursue the dream I put in you 20 years ago, 50 years ago? It's not dead. It's not over. He is the redeemer of all time. Hallelujah. As children of God, we've got to be aware and on the lookout for Satan's attacks. Listen, he has so many weapons and tactics to try to distract us, right? Right. So we do have the promise that says no weapon formed against us will prosper. But it never says those weapons won't materialize and come against us. Nowhere does Jesus promise that we won't go through problems, trials, and tribulations. We do have the promise that every fiery dart of the wicked will be quenched with a shield of faith. But it never says he won't throw those fiery darts. Some of Satan's weapons are are fiery darts and they're subtle and may not even be noticed under normal circumstances. He will not always use the attractive, beautiful young lady to entice a man to commit adultery. He will not always use and tempt someone to take too much change back from the store, from the cashier to entice someone to steal. Now, sometimes his weapons are subtle, and to the fleshly eye, they're virtually unnoticeable. One has to be so in tune to the Spirit walking with God that they recognize, wait a minute, this is an attack of the enemy. Sometimes it's so subtle things we don't even know. Subtle things like holding a grudge against someone. It may seem like it's not a big deal, but it will lead to unforgiveness, which will ultimately send someone to hell. Subtle little things like complaining about leadership that leads to rebellion. And they become like a cancer with the body, which from the outside looks okay, but the inside, the the bones are just wasting away. The spirit is just wasting away, and it needs to be right with God before they die. You see, distractions rob us. Everybody say distractions. Losing focus can bring distraction, not obvious ones, but subtle ones that rob us. 
They may be petty and significant things. There's a saying that says, if hunting rabbits in tiger country, beware of tigers. <laughs> but it also says, if you're hunting tigers in rabbit, in, in rabbit country, don't pay any attention to rabbits. Amen? Because you got your eye on the big prize. The enemy wants to sidetrack us with little insignificant events, little insignificant thoughts. He wants us to get so distracted away from the main purpose in which God has called us. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. It could even be as simple as deciding to let your foot off the gas and just take it easy for a little while. So point number one is this. Little distractions keep us from pursuing God. They can take the passion of God right out of our lives. Song of Songs 2.15. Song of Songs 2.15 says, Catch us, the little foxes, the foxes, the little foxes. Ever say the little foxes. The little distractions that ruin the vine, vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Anybody who has vineyards will tell you the big foxes, they take a grape and they go on. They don't spoil the vine. The little foxes chew the vine up and destroy the whole vine. They don't just eat the grape. They chew the stem and everything going to it and destroy it all. Little things will be the thing that takes you under if you're not careful. Psalm 63.8, I love what David says here. He says, my soul followeth hard after thee. Man, that's someone who is narrow focused. That's someone who's got their eyes on Jesus. Someone that's got their eyes on God that says, I'm following hard after thee. In other words, with everything I got, I'm pursuing God. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Have you ever heard of the story of the man who became president for a day? Does anybody know the man, the man's name who literally was sincerely president for one day in the United States? President James Polk spent his last day as president on March 3rd, 1849. At midnight, he was out of office. General Zachary Taylor, though, was supposed to be in office and get and, and his successor was supposed to come in office the next day, but he was a staunch churchgoer. And he refused to be inaugurated on Sunday. He said, you can search it for yourself. Going to church was a higher priority than becoming president of the United States. He postponed his inauguration to Monday, March 5th, because he said, I'm going to the house of God to worship. Can you imagine anything becoming more impressive and becoming that more important than becoming president of the United States? General Zachary Taylor, former president of the United States, says he could. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to church. Wow. In a day and age when Americans average one Sunday a month, in a day and age where our church, we regularly have 35 to 40 adults out every single Sunday right here. In a day and age when church is optional, we had a president who said, you're not inaugurating me. I'm going to get inaugurated the next day. So, as a result, U.S. Senator David Atchison of Missouri was president pro tempore of the United States for one day. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine a president doing that today? We're going to postpone the inauguration. We're going to let Nancy Pelosi be president for a day because I'm going to the house of God. But don't worry, in 24 hours, I'll take the reins back. Amen. Little distractions can become a thief of the president of, a present, presence of God in your life. They can, they can rob you of precious time with God, of communicating with God. You know, you sit down for prayer and you try to communicate with God. And you're praying. 
So God, help us, Lord Jesus. Boy, I'm, man, I, I sure hope I can pay that bill this week. I wonder if we have enough money to go eat out. I'll text Holly here in just a second and ask her, hey, can we eat out tonight? Oh, God, what am I doing? What am I doing? God, help me pray. Lord Jesus, help us, Lord. I wonder if the Braves are going to get Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell. I wonder if they'll come up off their money they got and get somebody who can pitch the ball. Don't they see what's going on? And what are the 49ers doing? What about the Seminoles? What's going on? I'll look that up. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. I'm the, Lord, I'm kind of hungry. What are we going to eat for lunch, Lord? What have you provided for us today? What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? God, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me to focus. Help me to focus, Lord Jesus. Okay, Lord, I thank you, Father God. Oh, God, I pray you touch the lost loved ones in our community. Oh, God, I wonder. Oh, God, I pray you touch them. I know, I know they're out on vacation. Vacation. Speaking of vacation, I wonder if I'm going to go snorkeling this year. I want to go to Bermuda. Lord, next February when it's snowing and icing, send me to Aruba, God. I want to go snorkeling. I wonder what kind of fish I'll see. And what do we do? We pray, we pray, we pray, and what do we do? We put on our distraction hat, and the enemy throws all these thoughts at us, and what happens? We totally lose focus. We totally lose the presence of God. We totally lose what God is trying to do in us. One day, I kid you not, I was praying and praying, and my mind was wandering everywhere, and finally God said, stop. What did you just pray? And I thought, I don't even know. He said, what did you just pray? I couldn't even think of what I just said. Has anybody ever been there before? And then I thought, well, if you don't know, I sure don't know. <laughs> Little distractions rob us of the Word of God. You get in the Word and you start reading. And how many of you have read and, you, and you, read, you read a whole chapter and you think, what did I just read? My mind was everywhere else. And you go back and you say, God, help me. They distract us in worship of the presence of God of connecting with God with our brothers and sisters. And you start thinking, of, like I said last week, lunch, and where am I going to eat lunch? And, and I got Israel or my bags packed. Oh, I forgot this. I better make a note because I don't want to forget that tomorrow when I go to And we forget. And we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. My focus in here is on the Lord Jesus Christ, on his presence. Little distractions rob us of family time. With our spouses, our children, if you have grandchildren, with other relationships, in doing the work of God. Don't let little distractions get you. Somebody say a good amen. And that's exactly what the devil tries to do. He tries to get your mind off it. Todd and Jessica, that happened today with mercy. Nothing but a distraction from the devil. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. God's got her. It's nothing. You will see that very quickly. Glory to God. The devil will try to throw stuff at our children, our grandchildren, our family members to distract us and get us distraught. I want to tell you, keep pursuing God. God's got it. Yes. That's one of the things I'm fighting and I've fought very hard for us to not get distracted by another building and property. Look, God will open that door when he's good and ready. Amen. And we'll know it. We'll know it. We're, until then, we're just going to worship God and enjoy being here. Amen? Amen? Point number two is this. Little distractions keep us from pursuing the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Luke 19.10 says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. That is his primary mission why he came to earth. I have a question. If it's Jesus' primary mission to seek and save that which is lost, should that not be our primary mission? We cannot get distracted with other stuff. We must keep our focus that there are people dying and they're going to hell. Hell is real and we need to snatch as many out as we can. We need to connect people to Jesus Christ and to one another. Somebody shout a good amen. Amen. We need to help unbelievers and quit trying to figure out why they're in the place they are. Here's why. They're lost. He said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. They're lost. They don't know they're lost. We need to quit trying to figure it all out and just lead them to Jesus. It's not about me. It's about connecting people to other, other, other people to Jesus and to one another. It's about, it's about, it's about witnessing. It's about Easter is not about us. Easter service is about us praying and fasting from now to then, inviting people, praying over it. So when they come, they have no choice but to give their lives to Jesus. We need to quit trying to clean our fish before we catch them. Don't try to straighten people out in small groups. Just love people and disciple them, amen? Look, raw ministry is messy, but that's what Jesus did. Look, he let the town prostitute. He let, she was a notorious sinner, the gospel says. You study that out. She was the town hooker. He let her wash his feet with her tears, dry him with her hair, pour cologne all over him. He got another woman caught in the very act of adultery, and he didn't condemn her. Someone say a good amen. He ate with the tax collectors and the, and, and the, and, and the publicans and the sinners and, and all the people that were bad. And everybody kept judging him for it. But isn't that what he came to do? Look, I know the message version stretches the point a little bit in this passage, but look what it says. Matthew 9, 12 through 13, Jesus overhearing shot back. I love it. Because they said, why are you eating with all them sinners? He said, who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Wow. Look, we lovingly welcome all people from all walks of life. The first step in our vision is we want to reach people from all walks of life. That means no matter who they are, no matter who they are, no matter who you are, you are welcome at Bridge of Hope Church. We love you. We want you. You can belong here before you believe. Look, if you're kicking the tires on church and Christianity, kick them right here with us. Amen. We'll not judge you. We'll just love on you. We're just glad you're here. Amen. We want everybody. We want the down and out. We want the up and in. We want the poor and the needy. We want the wealthy. We want the heterosexual. We want the homosexual. If you're a human being, we want you at Bridge of Hope Church. Everybody's welcome. Yes. Are you willing to accept others the way Christ has accepted you? Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Look, he gave us the Holy Ghost, not so we can have goose pimples, but so that we'll have the power to go out and witness for him and win people to Jesus. Acts 1, 8. But you shall receive power. God power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
The third point is this. Little distractions keep us from pursuing the great commandment. John 13, 34 through 35, the great commandment, a new commandment. Everybody say a new commandment. Everybody say a great commandment. Jesus said, Jesus speaking, I give to you. So how many, how many know this is not a suggestion? Jesus said, I'm giving you a commandment. That you what? That's agape love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Man if we would just love God with all our heart, mind and soul. And love our neighbor as ourself. People would run to church. People are so tired of being judged. I'm not saying you condone a sinful lifestyle. What I'm saying is you love the person. You love the person and God will deal with that stuff. He will. I promise you. Does God deal with your junk? God will deal with our junk, amen? He'll deal with theirs too. Our job is to love them as our neighbor. Everybody say neighbor. Did you know that's the only label God gave us to put on another human being? Neighbor. You see, if we love and we call everyone neighbor, that would end prejudice. That would end racism. You see, anytime you say that group or this group of people, and you, you begin to create separation and division, and that's not what God's called us to do. Anytime you separate others by culture, by creed, by nationalities, by languages, by the color of their skin, that is not loving others as your neighbor. That means he said, don't put on people, that's them Democrats, that's them Republicans, that's them, that's them, uh-uh, that's my neighbor. And like Mr. Rogers said, wouldn't you like to be my neighbor? The problem is, is the church today has put labels all over everywhere. That's the drunk, and that's the, uh, them, them, them people right there, them's the prostitutes, and them's this, and them's that. And so them people don't want to be our neighbor. I want to tell you, if we'll take that label off, and we'll just say, hey, God told me to love you like he loves me, and you are my neighbor. No matter what your actions are, what you're from, where you're from, it doesn't matter. You're a human being. You're my neighbor, and I'm going to love you as such. Those people will want the same Jesus Woo, we got somebody say amen. Love others as your neighbor would an injustice end it. It, it. it would create all things to be equal the way our forefathers designed our country to be. And we just love people for who they are. Look, in the English language, we say love, and there's one word for love. So, you, you know, we, and Americans, we, I love God. I also love green beans. I love my wife and kids. I love football. You know, you, and so we don't know how to, obviously we don't love them the same. We don't know how to differentiate. But in the Greek language, there's four words for love. The first one is eros. And I want to put this over the overhead. Eros is sexual love, physical love, married love, mutual desire between a man and woman. Storge is family love. I love my family. Phileo is a love of friendship, the affection we feel for people in friendly relationships. It's where we get our English word, Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. But then there's also agape, which is divine love. And that love is different. You see, agape love, love, it gives and it gives. And then it gives more and more. And then it gives more and more. 
and it continues to love, and it never asks for anything in return. Eros doesn't give and give without wanting something in return. Storge doesn't give and give without seeking something for itself because it knows it will be benefited by its family. Phileo doesn't give and give without asking for something in return because it's really asking for friendship. But agape love, there was no word until agape love, God's love, that described exactly what we see in the character of God. Someone that gives without ulterior motives. Someone who gives without seeking something in return. After all, the one who had the greatest faith of all was God because he had faith that we would accept his son. He would send his son to the cross to die, and he had faith that the human race would receive his son and be in right fellowship with him. God gives and gives and gives, and he loves and he loves and he loves without ulterior motive. Someone say amen. What a God we serve. It is agape love or God's kind of love that gives us the ability to love the unlovely and the unlovable. It is agape love that gives us the ability to love, uh, 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 and it's always the same. It never changes. God's love in our hearts doesn't change. It's always the same. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more or make Him love you less. He loves you just the way you are. So when you stand before the mirror, don't say, oh, I hate this about myself, because God don't hate that about you. Don't say, well, I wish. God don't wish. He loves you just the way you are. One crazy young minister said, man, I love it when you worship. That just turns God on. And I know what he's trying to say in theory, but in biblically, it's absolutely wrong. Why? Because if you can turn God on, you can turn him off. And I want to tell you, you can't turn him off. He just loves you. Yes. It's a love that is based not on emotions and feelings, but a love by choice. God's love is not based on performance. It is unconditional. Think about what a better world would be if we would just love like God loves. You say, well, pastor, that's impossible. You can't love like God loves. Oh, contraire. Amen. <laughs> Romans 5, 5 says it this way. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, agape love, has been poured. Poured here means to pour out forth, to gush out like a gully, a, a gully washer of a terrible storm like the other night. To run greedily out, invigorating, invigorating all our heart. Watch it. He says, he, his love, his love has been poured with everything it's got into where? Our hearts. Everybody say my heart. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a scripture I pray all the time. God, help me to love more like you. God, I need a little bit more of your love today towards mankind. You said you would pour your love into my heart so I could love like you. Help me to do that in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise God. And then finally, the last point, little distractions keep you from pursuing your dream. And I, I want to I wanna, I wanna just finish with these few thoughts. Little distractions will keep you from your defining moment. Be prepared. Preparation has a way of meeting opportunity. I remember when I was first called in youth ministry and I met with the state youth director at the state of Virginia. I'll never forget, he gave me two books on youth ministry and he said, I want you to read these books. I want you to start studying youth pastors, what they do. He said, because son, preparation has a way of meeting opportunity. 
And he was so right. Music leader at Hillsong Church resigned when he found out he could make a million dollars a year in the United States doing what he was doing with secular music. The problem was is that the pastor was getting ready to launch their first record, their first album. And it was just a couple of days beforehand, and he, the pastor was devastated. They had spent all this money. They had the recording team coming in. They had everything ready. And a couple of days before they're supposed to cut their first album live, the music guy's gone. The pastor collects himself. He collects everyone on the praise team. And he says, hey, I, I, I need to let you know what's going on. And, he's, and he says, what, you know, what are we going to do? We've already spent all this money, and they're, they're coming in a couple of days. I don't know what to do. At the time, Darlene Check, the great worship leader of Hillsong, was a secretary at the church and sang on the praise team. The praise team said, Pastor, you need to get Darlene Check to lead the music. She's the best singer, and just let her lead it. He said, Darlene, he said, have you ever written any songs? Have you, have you ever done it, written any music? She said, well, you know, real humbly, she said, well, I wrote a little song, it's, you know, no, nothing major. He says, well, what is it? She says, well, I don't, I don't know if anybody, it's a little song that goes something like this. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar. At the sound of your name, I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stay. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. What if Darlene had let little distractions keep her from writing the song God put in her heart when she was just on the praise team and as secretary at the church? Hillsong has recorded 46 albums. It started with a guy who wanted money getting out of the way and God said, okay, now we're going to let the real leader rise up because she's prepared. She's a woman after my heart. And I've been putting little songs into her heart that she thinks are nothing, but that you haven't heard probably in a long time, and yet you just sang the words with me. I want to tell you something. Are you prepared? Do not let little distractions keep you from what God is calling you to do. Don't let them rob them from you. Tommy Barnett was preaching at a pastor's conference many years ago, and he preached a sermon entitled, There's a Miracle in Your House. There was a young black pastor who had come to the conference. He had his, he was ready to resign. He was done. He was discouraged. He was distraught. He couldn't do it anymore. He had a, he had a struggling con congregation of 200 people, and he said, I'm done. And he got there, and he heard that message, and he thought, well, maybe I'll go back. Maybe there is a miracle in my house. And he just, he just kind of walked through that time. And, and as time went on, things got better and better until he had his first pastor's conference. And he had Tommy Barnett as the first speaker, and he preached, there's a miracle in his house. And you know him well. His name is T.D. Jakes. And 30-some thousand church members later, he, he wouldn't, at the moment when it was time to give up, he didn't. And, and Tommy Barnett was there for his defining moment, his dream. 
I want to tell you, I, I see some people out here. Maybe you're the Darlene check that you're sitting there and you think, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a this, I'm a nobody. You have no idea what God's put inside of you and what he's getting ready to bring to the surface. Well, I'm just discouraged. I'm ready to throw the towel in and kids church, I don't seem to be impacted. You have no idea if you're not the great next Billy Wilson with the Sunday, side, Sunday school, sidewalk Sunday school. You have no idea what God's called you to do. Well, I'm just offering a few prayers in my house. You have no idea the intercession that is impacting those around you. You don't quit. You don't give up. You don't let distractions rob you. If God's put a song in your heart, you begin to pen it. Even though if you say, well, how's this going to even get out? You let God worry about how to get out. Well, God's given me these words. I got this message. I, I need to write this down as he gives it to me. You write it down, and when God's good and ready, he'll, he'll put you forth. Amen. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. You pursue your dream. What is your dream? Well, my dream is to be a missionary, but how's that ever going to happen? You just follow God, and God will work it out. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? I feel the presence of God, and I, I'm, 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 I'm praying and believing God to resurrect some dead dreams in here today. It's not over. It's not dead. It's not too far gone. God's put something inside of you. God did, you, it wasn't just your idea to go back to law school, Chris. God put that in you. And you don't even see yet what God's going to do through that. But rest assured, God is. And I know you're at the end and close to finishing in the bar. You hang in there. Because when you get on the other side of that, God is going to use you to touch so many people that otherwise would not be touched. And don't ever give up on your dream. You have no idea what God's going to do through your abilities, Jake, on the websites and all that you do in your life. You have no idea who God's going to put you in touch with. I mean, I'm come to preach to somebody to tell you today, don't give up on that dream. Don't throw in the towel and the pastor thought it was over. God instantly, I mean, the snap of a finger. He said, you just think you have a problem. I got the answer right there. My blessed Lord, I want to tell somebody, you just think you have an issue. You don't realize the person with the answers already in your life. You've already got the money in your hand. You just don't know it. You've already been healed. You just don't see it yet. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody. God's already given you the answer. God's already got the perfect building for us. We just don't see it yet, but we will. And when he does it, he's going to add no sorrow to it. When he does it, we're going to know, look what God did. When he does it, he's going to get the maximum glory. When he does it, it's going to reach the most people. Somebody shout amen. Woo. Somebody shout glory. Make your life count. Ask yourself, is this activity I am doing pleasing to God? Be prepared and at the right place at the right time. In closing, the musicians will come singing. Nehemiah 
was prepared and pursued his dream and his defining moment to build a wall, and he did. Solomon, at least in his early days, was prepared and he pursued his dream and his defining moment to build God a temple. Wow. Esther, Esther was prepared and pursued her dream, her defining moment for such a time as this to save the whole nation of Israel. Esther was just a little handmaid trying to survive. And God said, you don't even know. I'm going to put you in the presence of the king to save a nation. Quit looking at yourself and saying, I'm a nobody. I'll never be. No, you don't know what God will do through you. You stay prepared. Wow. You may or may not have achieved your defining moment in your dream. But I want to tell you, if you haven't, don't quit. Don't allow little distractions to miss it. Don't allow just little distractions to keep you from changing someone's life, someone's destiny, their circumstances, the kingdom of God, earth as we know it. Souls are at stake. Don't give in. Don't let distractions get you. Stay focused on God and, and other people. What little distractions do you need to get rid of this morning? What, what, what little distractions do you need to get rid of to, to keep you from pursuing God today? Or to keep you from pursuing the great commission or the great commandment? Or to keep you from pursuing the great dream in you? If you have this thought, if you have this burden of some ministry or something that you, that you can't shake, you've had it for years, that's God. Pursue it. Pursue your family. Pursue your dreams. Wow. God, I know you've spoken today. God, I feel your presence. Here's what I feel. I really didn't know how I was going to do you feel a tug at your heart that you've got a dream a defining moment that still awaits you and that it hasn't come to pass and you may or may not have from time to time quit on it and come back to it whatever and you say man I want I want God to resurrect the pursuit in me after him that he will bring it to pass or maybe you're in the prayer closet and you say man I, I've just I, gosh I've just let distractions keep me work and all these things from pursuing God like I once did I don't just stop and spend time with God like I used to. I, I do fly by, I do drive through prayer times, just in and out. I do drive through, just gobble in the word, no matter what, just get through it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, it's all become, get the devotions done. It's not really been about saturating myself in his presence. Maybe I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pursuing his souls like I should or, or loving people like I should. But that ends now. If that's you, I want you to boldly stand to your feet because I'm telling you, God's going to resurrect some dreams. He's going to resurrect some stuff here this morning. There's somebody under the sound of my voice. You're going to feel as early as tomorrow morning the burning desire to go back to sit at His feet. That desire to just to, to devour His Word. 
For some of you, you thought the dream was dead and you feel God knocking at your heart right now saying, oh, I'm not done with that just yet. <laughs> oh, I want you just to hold your hands in the air and like this, open to receive. I want to pray for you and then we're going to pray for one another as we worship. Before you start singing, let me just bless everyone. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you resurrect a, a pursuit in us for you. A pursuit for the great commission and the great commandment and, a, and the dream you've put inside of us. Resurrected in Jesus' name. Set our hearts ablaze for you yet again. For we know pursuing you, everything comes from that. Lord, I thank you that I'm reminded that the dream is not dead. The dream is alive forevermore. Oh, God, raise up the Darlene checks of our church. Raise up the TD checks of our church in Jesus' name. Raise up the Gideons of our generation in Jesus' name. Lord, let a fire consume us, oh God. In Jesus' name. Here's what I want you to do. There's people standing everywhere. I want you just to turn and face somebody. Ladies with ladies, guys with guys, if possible. I want you to begin to pray for others. I want you to ask them, what is it that you're believing God for? And pray for them. And then, and then turn around and say, well, what do you believe in God for? Well, here's what I'm believing God for. And while you're praying, come on, passionately pray. Pray for them like you're praying for yourself. And then for everyone else, I, I want you to worship. They're going to lead us in this song. I want you to, I want you to teruah praise him. Give him that pre-victory praise now in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship, church, and let's pray.